This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Well, happy Easter and welcome. It's great to see you here. We're going to look into God's Word, so let's pray and ask for His help. Give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your word with our ears, but also to receive it into our hearts and to show it forth in our lives for the glory of your great name. Amen. Now, in the reading we just heard from Luke's Gospel, we read these words. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. In a little while, I want to talk about that broiled fish. But first of all, I want to say that really... There's one thing that's been brought home with particular sharpness to me in recent weeks, and it's the ache of absence. Being separate from people is a kind of grief that Zoom, for all its wonders, can do nothing to alleviate. Well, we do meet and gather online, but it's always with those inverted commas very much in place. We can hear a voice, we can see a picture, but we can't behold one another fully. There's no substitute, it turns out, for being present with one another. We're not fully together unless we are physically together, in the body. We cannot share in a meal. I cannot hear that nuance of anxiety in your voice or see the tension in your eyes. We can't share that joke that requires you to see my tongue in my cheek or for, you to see, for me to see the twinkle in your eye. It's certainly a grief akin to mourning a loved one who has died. Memory is not much compensation. You long to see the way that person walks or the stoop of their shoulders, to hear the tone of their voice, to smell their skin, all the things that make them truly present when they are present. It's no surprise that when we grieve, we often have a powerful sense of the presence of the dead person. We think we see them on the train or in the shopping center. We think we hear them talking to us. I remember this happening quite vividly when my grandmother died, seeing her, I thought, in the street, or smelling my father's aftershave, my father-in-law's aftershave somehow in the year after he died. The great poet William Wordsworth's little daughter, Catherine, died aged only three in 1812. And he wrote of the experience of sitting in his study at work and imagining her walking in while he was working. He wrote this, surprised by joy, Impatient as the wind, I turned to share the transport. Oh, with whom but thee, long buried in the silent tomb. His joy, his unexpected joy at her presence is then ripped away from him when he realises that it was just the ache of her absence talking. It's the most powerful description of despairing grief that I know. And is that what Jesus' disciples experienced? Was the ache of absence so strong that it led them to a delusion that he had risen from the dead? Was the memory of Jesus' personal presence, his charisma, so strong that they imagined that he was there with them? What we need to notice about the way the disciples reported the story of Jesus' resurrection is how specific and concrete they were in telling us details. And that's where this mysterious piece of broiled fish comes in. Now, look, I've been puzzling over this piece of fish for quite some time, ever since I first read the Gospel of Luke. You see, Jesus himself and the Gospel writers are very good at using symbolism and allusions to the Old Testament. And so everything they write 
seems to have some sort of significance. The numbers they use matter. Prophecies of the Old Testament are being fulfilled in their story. The plans of God being accomplished. Jesus is a new Moses, a new David, a new Jeremiah, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Suffering Servant, the Prince of Peace. So what about this piece of fish? What does it mean? What does it symbolize? Surely it must mean something. And here's the answer I've come to after scratching my head about it for quite some time. The fish doesn't symbolize anything. It's just a piece of fish. So why does Luke tell us about it quite specifically? The disciples had at first been startled to see Jesus when he appeared to them. Was this a ghost, they said, trembling. You can imagine the hairs on the back of their necks standing up as Jesus greeted them. In the ancient world, as now, many people believed in ghosts, that the spirit of a dead person without the body could somehow appear. But though a ghost was supposed to be recognizable as the dead person, and to be a presence of a kind, the idea of a ghost is always frightening. A ghost is still physically dead. They may be a sort of wafting, ethereal presence of the person, but they are still dead and deathly. They are frightening because they are still subject to death. I should add that if you're a fan of horror movies, you're probably wondering what zombies are supposed to be like, and they're, they're really the opposite, aren't they? They're supposed to be the body of the person somehow walking around without the ghost bit, the spirit bit in it, without being the person. And again, the thought of them is terrifying because death is still upon them. They are still largely dead. But Jesus is neither ghost nor zombie. He's not an apparition or a dream, nor the memory of a presence, the mere echo of Jesus. No, Jesus having been killed, having the blood and the water separate in his body, having lain in the tomb, has risen from the dead. He's newly alive. The same presence, the same presence, the same person that he was before. As he says to them, it is I, myself, not a shadow of his former self, but himself. And he invites the disciples to carry out an inspection, to touch him and see. And it turns out that he has muscles and hair and bones and toenails. He is really there and it is really him. And then he does something completely normal, or at least it's significantly ordinary. He asks them for something to eat. Getting resurrected from the dead apparently makes you really hungry. And here is why we're told about the grilled fish. Because ghosts don't eat. Neither do fond memories. Neither do dreams or ideals or values or ethics or philosophies. But Jesus Christ, who once was dead, eats. The most basic sign that he is bodily alive and fully present. And more than the physical fact that he consumed some fish, he ate together with his disciples. This was not merely a meal in his memory. It was a meal at which he was fully and really present with them. That ache of absence was overcome. And this tells us so much about the message of the gospel 
the good news. The message that the disciples will preach to the world is not an offer of some vague ethereal hope or a message of human behavior conforming to a set of values or taking on a certain philosophy. To preach the news that Christ died for the forgiveness of sins and that he rose solidly in three dimensions to conquer death, not in some elaborate theory, but in the rude actuality of hands and feet, tongue, teeth and lips, snacking on a piece of fish. This is the good news of Christianity. You know, he will go away from them again. But his disciples, those who had witnessed him wipe away the crumbs from his beard, would experience an ache of absence in quite a different, different way now. They would long for the Lord to return, but they know, as sure as he was standing there that day, that he will certainly return. They now live in the concrete and tangible hope of the simple joy of eating once more with Jesus. And they have Jesus' promise that he will be with them always to the end of the age. To be a Christian then is to long for Jesus' return because things are not now what they will then be. But it is also to live in the joy of knowing that Jesus is really alive and has accomplished a real 3D victory over sin and death. This then is the true Easter hope. It's the solid hope of a great reunion. It's the promise that even death itself is not an obstacle to our hope of eating together once more with Jesus. We are really, really forgiven. We are really, really not defeated by death. Our absence from one another and from Jesus is in him only temporary, only ever temporary. He lives. Now we live in dark days. We need this hope more than ever before in our lifetimes. You mightn't really have taken hope of, hold of this hope before. Perhaps you've admired Jesus, but never really become more than that. You've been a fan, but not yet a follower. There's no better day than this Easter day to cling now to the solidity, the reality of Jesus, and to know the hope of his return, to know the hope of his true life. And having this hope spurs us to do Jesus' works in the world, to be his presence. We will be those in whom Jesus will be clearly seen and recognised. We'll be those who awaken in others a longing for the world that Jesus describes, the world of grace and peace and forgiveness, the world of justice, truth and life. The news that Jesus is alive should energise us even in these days, to do remarkable things in his, in his name. And we will also long, because Jesus is alive in his body, to be together with one another as we wait. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.